Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the sixth floor of a nondescript office building in Reston, Virginia. It's the Newsbusters podcast. Now, we are quite a distance from Washington, D.C. out here in the suburbs. But one hot issue this week is President Biden's willingness to sign a Republican bill to overturn D.C.'s attempt to soften up on criminals, reducing maximum penalties and other so-called reforms. Plus, Monday's morning shows, well, some of them, reported on how radical leftists in Atlanta held violent protests outside what they call Cop City, a proposed police training facility. The so-called anti-fascists have been creating chaos for months. Not always national news, but... Joining me to discuss... This emerging picture of soft on crime Democrats is Curtis Hauk, managing editor, fresh from being the man all over CPAC. Welcome. Yeah, good to be back. Good to be back. So, Curtis, 173 House Democrats voted for this soft on crime position. And then on Thursday, Biden signaled he would leave them in the lurch. Axios reported what we're hearing. People are rip roaring pissed, said one House Democrat. Summing up the mood of the caucus, Biden is going to have a much harder time asking people to take tough votes after this. You know, this is the kind of reporting they usually don't like doing is Democrats fighting with Democrats. I mean, they adore Republicans fighting with Republicans. This is a little different. Progressives, says Axios, and many black Democrats are upset Biden is defying the party's position on D.C. home rule and criminal justice reform. But more broadly, members feel spurned the White House wasn't more communicative. So some Democrats maybe wouldn't have voted for this if they knew Biden was going to take this. Here's the funny part, Curtis. Guess Mm. who voted to go soft on crime and not to work with Republicans? Uh One, Abigail Spanberger. Spanberger. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. The lady whose incessant TV commercials talked about how moderate she was and that she was going to be, she was one of the most bipartisan members of the House. She's like, yeah, I have a badge. She had a badge and a gun because she was former intel officer. Yeah, that one, that one particularly makes this funny. And obviously the joke here on conservative Twitter was, well, gee, guys, didn't Biden run on working well with Republicans? So why are you upset? Uh, For example... Our Kevin Tober noted that one-time Democratic Party chairman Donna Brazile thought this was a huge mistake, as she stated on the George Stephanopoulos show. I want to say something about home rule. Huge mistake. Huge mistake by the president. Mistake? Absolutely. Let me tell you why. I, I, I sat down because Chris Christie told me about this a couple of months ago. The D.C. Code is old. It was written in 1901. There, in, in some areas, there are no penalties for sexual assault. There's only three months w- when you beat up a police officer. So while I understand that some Republicans want to show their tough on crime by beating up on the District of Columbia, we deserve statehood. We deserve to, to, to get it right. And this was a process that took 16 years. It was evaluated by criminal justice experts. It was evaluated by the D.C. Council and the D.C. residents. So... Curtis, she's saying that we we should let the mayor and the council work this out, but the council was unanimous on this. There and the mayor was like, "No, I want to curb this or amend this or whatever." It wasn't going well there. But yeah, the the Democrats are sort of like 
D.C. is like the People's Republic of Washington. You should never mess with it. Right. I think that's the issue. I mean, as you're talking about this Democrats fighting with Democrats, if you listen to this at the beginning of the show instead of jumping right in, I think you could guess which Democrat side the media were going to go with. Yeah, that's the, well, but that's the fun part is you would say they all looked at the Lori Lightfoot race and said, mm, there's some political danger there. Or why the, Eric Adams got elected in New York City. And they're still like, yep, no, we got to line up with the left. We got to line up with the left. And I mean, that was the problem at the White House press briefing. You had reporters, some asking questions about, you know, was there any communication between the president, the mayor and the city council? Fair enough. Those are process logistical questions. Yeah, you noted on Thursday that they were basically asking which side he was going to come down on. Yeah. That's, that's what reporters do. Right, exactly. You had some of that, obviously, but you had other ones where, you know, um, Zeke Miller from the AP was, does Biden believe that he should substitute his wisdom and judgment for theirs? Oh, please. Yeah, exactly. Well, why didn't he just ask? Is this an example of Grandpa Biden being too old to make sense? And then he also complained if the president believes that every city should have the right to self-government, except if he disagrees with the outcomes of their governing process. Well, again, this sort of seems to ignore that the District of Columbia is a rather unique situation. And the idea that they're, they're trying to push statehood for a city because they want two more radical Democrats in the Senate and whatnot. I mean, this is where, you know, obviously, yes, the liberal media, because Democrats are reporters and reporters are Democrats, they love D.C. statehood. Right. Justin Sink then afterward from Bloomberg, this is also on Thursday, made the point that the president is making a principled stand that he supports a city self-governing, but then he's trying to overturn their governing. You know, very upset about, you know, so he's wondering... Is the president going to side with cities being able to self-govern or does he think people should be able to be safe, that he can't somehow pick both? And what to, what Corrine Jean-Pierre's argument was, you know, and, and so it took a long time for her to get to this point and it was very garbled. But the point is something was put on Biden's desk, regardless of how he feels about D.C. statehood. Something is placed on his desk regarding crime. Yeah, it could have been from any it could have been from Congress. It could have been from anybody. Mm hmm. And this is this is on his desk that would allow for the decriminalization or lesser sentencing of carjacking. Uh, I think one of the other ones was decriminalizing ur- public urination. You know, those kinds of like total nonsense, reduce charges for gun crimes, get rid of mandatory minimums for uh, violent crimes such as ones involving a firearm. Um, and he was against that. And, the, and they couldn't really stand that. It's funny because... D.C. is, you know, is is headed back into what it was under Marion Barry when they called it the murder capital. Um, crime is surging. We've got these lurid stories of like teenagers carjacking an Uber and killing the driver. Um, and it, yeah, it seems like the liberal media can't seem to grasp that this is a political challenge for Biden. And he has to absolutely expect that the Republicans are going to look at the vote on this. Certainly, this is why some of the Democrats are upset. If you're in a, going to be in a tough house race two years from now, this is probably something that's going to make a commercial. Uh, right. And I just want to add, then on Friday, we had Colleen Long of the AP complain to Corrine Jean-Pierre 
um, that Biden and Democrats have talked the need to system rising crime. Uh, but then she also brought there's a need to reform a criminal justice system that still disproportionately affects black Americans. So why not engage in some sort of compromise or let the D.C. crime bill become law? Well, first of all, it, I don't remember, Curtis, I'd have to look it up, the percentage of residents of the District of Columbia who are black. So it, it, obviously there's going to be a disproportionate effect in dc it's not like a majority anymore it's like below 50 percent, but it's i think they're still the I mean, largest they used to call group. when i moved into this area in the mid 80s they gladly called it chocolate city and i don't you know that's fine it's just this is one of those things that they clearly see when you challenge the notion of home rule what a lot of people in dc think is oh this is racial this is paternalism you know, they somehow think that the Republicans are like Massa with a whip. You know, they right. don't like the idea that anyone would challenge it. Obviously, back when I got here, it was like, well, the best argument against home rule was Mayor Marion Barry. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, and the problem is this is only going to get worse because on Thursday and Friday and today, reporters have asked Corrine Jean-Pierre about the fact that the city council wants to enact a measure that allows non-citizens to vote. Yeah. And Biden has said, you know, if it goes through Congress, a disapproving resolute disapproval resolution, uh, statement of disapproval, uh, he would sign it okay. as well. Um, to her, unfortunately, she really hasn't expanded upon that. But like if I'm in the side the White House, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to vote to disapprove that because it's illegal. Because it probably because you believe it probably wouldn't stand up to muster in the courts, so you would oppose it because you're doing DC a favor by saving them money in a court fight. Somebody was making this point that uh, that you know if you worked at the Russian embassy, that allows you to vote in DC elections, right? I mean, you're a non-citizen, but you're right. living. You're a resident. Chinese. Yeah, I mean, it's this is that's one of those things where it, it is a soft area where the media doesn't really want to go. And that is non-citizen voting. They want to they would basically take this as, oh, that's a MAGA talking point. So we're not going to address it. Yeah, it's tough. On, it's a uh, it's a conspiracy theory. Yes. So, uh, you know, I'm in the car yesterday listening to national public radio mm. and what Mara Eliasson said. I'm Mara Eliasson. Uh Biden on Thursday pretty much chose politics over principle. I mean, like victims of crime are politics. You know, the principle here is to be soft on crime. But she said he said he was for D.C. statehood. He's for home rule, but he clearly doesn't want Democrats on the wrong side of the crime issue. And then the other side of the crime issue was there were criminal justice activists oh. who were angry about the substance. You notice they can never call lefties lefties. They always get some glorified title, criminal justice activist. No, no, no. Take the word justice out. You're just a criminal activist. You're yeah. a criminal defendant activist. We have that all the time. It's always hard right, hard right, hard, you know, far right, hard right. Extreme right, extreme MAGA, ultra MAGA. That's why they love Biden's little analogy game that Anita Dunn apparently, you know, workshopped and focus grouped for months on end. Um, you see, but where's their far left communists, socialists? You know, they really revolt at labeling on their side. The Supreme Court, yeah. Supreme Court nominations. We've done this, Rich Noise, and then Scott Whitlock did this for nomination after nomination where. The liberal labels for Obama and now Biden picks were 
Oh, less than half dozen, if any. Yeah, generally with Sonia Sotomayor, she's a Yankees fan. Right. It's, she's more <laughs> identified as a Yankees fan than as a leftist, whereas with conservatives, the the within the first news cycle, conservative or some variation of it were about a dozen. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is sort of standard. This is where I always say Graham's law of labeling the epic political battles of our time are between the ultra conservatives and the nonpartisans. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. this is kind of what we see is that there's a far right, there's hard right, there's right, there's right wingers. And, you know, the other side is criminal justice activists. Now, it seems to me that this afternoon it sounds like the D.C. Council sort of trying to withdraw. They did. <laughs> like, oops, we're going to kind of withdraw <laughs> this thing. Maybe that'll take the sting out with Biden. But I mean, I guess I guess story over. But we did see, as you suggested, White House reporters taking the left wing stance with Corrine Jean-Pierre. Well, and I should just add that probably where a lot of them live is Ward 6 in Washington, D.C. If they don't live in Ward 3 in the upper northwest corner, they live in Ward 6, which is down near the Capitol, which includes which is uh, represented by Charles Allen. Folks, if you look up this guy's picture and listen to him, he is. As beta male Chris Hayes, like white pasty, uh, soy boy liberal as you're gonna get, you know, like when there was the f- fatal shooting at the Potomac Avenue Metro Station, which is a stop or two from Capitol South, which is one of the main metro stops. It's right there at the RNC if you've ever visited Washington. So it's a stop or two after that. He was like, "Well, it's a horrible day for the community," and we got to do something about gun violence and everything else. This is the guy who voted to cut the police budget. And he's the one on the public safety committee that was really driving this rewriting of the criminal code. So it's white liberals, once again, that were pushing this. You saw a semi-related real quick point I saw in Chicago. Lightfoot had a lot of support and as well for this the, the black progressive that advanced to the runoff in white areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had the most support in the white areas. The guy who two years ago called for defunding the police. That's where Lightfoot maintained her base of support, whereas outer areas or even some black neighborhoods had support of the white former head of the uh, the public school system who said that he would hire 2000 cops. Imagine that. Yeah, I think that that's the that's where they don't that's where the rubber hits the road. And, and that's the idea that people who have to actually deal with crime are going to have a tough time being soft on crime. And as you suggest, some of these neighborhoods, certainly in D.C., like in Ward 3, they're the very nice neighborhoods where the media live. <coughs> yes, the yes. people who make six figures or seven, um, you, yeah, or be the ones that feel the worst about their white privilege. Mm-hmm. Washington Republicans, you can think of them. So yes, let's shift to this other thing. When you were you mentioned this whole far left, far left thing uh, that we'd like them to to actually use on occasion, or at least balance it out a little bit. Uh, the uh, the Atlanta. The violent protests in Atlanta, you were noticing that they did cover this this morning, uh, except for CBS. CBS gave it, what, seven seconds? Six seconds. Uh, but here's the part I found funny when you <laughs> sent it to me. I'm like, they used a clip from NBC? Early today. Yeah, they, CBS used a clip from NBC. They ha- So they have this segment called The Eye Opener, which is sort of like this, what does it run, 90 seconds? Two minutes. Your world in 90 seconds. 90 seconds, right. So it's all clip, 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 clip. It's teases too. Six seconds. Um, And, you know, yes, some days you'll say, CBS totally ignored this story except for six seconds in the eye opener. And that's certainly what happened today. Uh, On the other hand, 
You know, the other networks did cover it. Uh, and you got to say, to some degree, uh, in, at least in terms of the sound bites they're using, we got a lot of the Atlanta police chief. Yeah, the Atlanta police chief saying it's a very violent attack and words like anarchy and that, you know, that they would be pursuing, you know, as the highest level of charges that they can. Um, you know, GMA mentioned that the FBI is getting involved in this, which is really uh, something to see. Uh, that's that's always bad. Well, but it gets more it gets slightly comical at this point from our friend Greg Price, who who noted that the FBI has been using the Southern Poverty Law Center to find out who the domestic terrorists are. And then right. the guy, they found a guy in this riot who worked for the Southern Poverty Law Center. So that's going to be a it's going to be a little trouble. Yeah, we should congrats congratulate our friend uh, Greg Price, who is fleeing X strategies and is now announced to, during our recording that he is joining the State Freedom Caucus Network, oh. support conservatives across the country at the state level. So, congrats to our friend Greg Price. Yes, of course, Greg he was an intern here, um, twenty eighteen. Just like you, Curtis, it shows that you know interns get bigger, better things. Yes, exactly. So. Uh, what's interesting here was, yes, they didn't use any labels like uh, Blaine Alexander. It's a chaotic clash between protesters and police. Um, and then uh, on ABC, they were saying what? They're environmentalists. Uh, you know, these are the labels they use like uh, they're, they only care about the forests. Well, no, this and I know that's kind of the shtick they're using. Here, <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? but they're anti-police. I mean, I think it's quite clear. These are anti-cop activists. They're very upset that there's going to be a police training center. They can use the environmental thing as a cover, but... Right, there's the sense from Steve O. Sansami on ABC, quote, They're mostly environmentalists who've been trying to save a wooded area and have argued that the new training center would militarize police. I said on my blog, that sure doesn't sound like a group that's just concerned about Bambi. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, that sounds like a complete cover. But the worst part of the coverage was two things. One, the labeling issue, which we talked about before, about there was no left-wing, hard-left analogy to this. But, of course, you know, the the Governor Whitmer plot with some dubious origins was always a hard-right Republican mm -hmm. conservative plot against a Democrat governor. Whereas this one, uh, you had George Stephanopoulos say uh it was used as a cover they used it as a cover to uh to to go after to mount this attack they th say authorities more than a authorities say more than 100 people used the cover of a peaceful pro peaceful protest which included a music festival to conduct a coordinated attack on officers and equipment and they, and then the other one was outside agitators so we're just checking the boxes here no left-wing label Say that it's a cover for otherwise peaceful protests, like a music festival, yeah. make it sound very innocuous, and that they're outside agitators. Yeah, all I, to cover for, not excuse, but kind of explain away the motivations of the people that were doing the attacking. Yeah, I mean, it, th this is par for the chorus with anti so-called anti-fascist events, is that you'll find, well, they're not locals. I don't really understand why to a journalist that matters much. Oh, they were outside agitators. It, 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 yes, but also, who was rioting at the Capitol on January 6th? They weren't residents of the District of Columbia. They were outside agitators. Now, why on earth would it matter if you're going to denounce people beating on the police? In this case, this is, again, look at the analogy here. We're threatening police. We're throwing Molotov cocktails. 
you know, if you're upset by January 6th, you should be upset at this. Now, again, the, the, the overwhelming tone of this was breaking overnight chaos, explosive Molotov cocktails, fire and chaos. So, yeah, it was a combined, I believe, 546, just under six minutes between the two networks. Now, you know, we noticed this, that Blaine Alexander and NBC said tensions between protesters and police have been at a boiling point for months with past demonstrations in January also turning violent and fatal with one protester killed. Now, that's that's a little inaccurate, or at least it leaves some stuff to be. I, it, the, the protester was shot. He was holding a gun. Right. <laughs> I mean, Oops. you know, that you're leaving some context out there. But I what you found is I said, well, did they cover this in January? And you said, guess how CBS covered it in January? They had seven seconds in the eye opener, but a big fat zero on their regular show. And sure enough, full stories on the Today Show and GMA. So it was literally the exact same setup as as last time. Yeah. So, I mean, look, Atlanta is it's a major city. Um, Its former mayor works at the White House now. Keisha, Keisha Bottoms. Keisha Lance Bottoms. Uh, who probably could have been the vice president, except they didn't want the, t- the bumper stickers to say Biden Bottoms. <laughs> or they didn't want to have somebody uh, whose city was burning. Yeah. I mean, you know, you wonder these days where they're like, well, instead of Kamala, we could have had Karen Bass. We could have had somebody else other than Kamala. Yeah, it was... uh, It's not like they were in danger of losing California in 2020. I know, right? Well, it was even... They've actually taken a step back this time because CBS's middle of the night show had 51 seconds... CBS Morning News with Anne-Marie Green had 51 seconds on the first set of riots and and, uh, that officer-involved shooting, whereas uh, this one, it didn't have anything this morning, which... And I even checked, you know, the Sunday night weekend news. Uh, nothing there either. So we, you know, we are nerdy about this. We actually record the 4 a.m. news. You know, we do stuff like that here. And, of course, the CBS Morning News is also in our Nexus search engine. Right. When you go looking to see how something was covered. But, uh, um, you know, on, a, on on various occasions, I've actually clipped something from the 4 a.m. CBS. Yeah, the only years. way that works is if like you worked an overnight shift or come in or you got up to pee and you can't go back to sleep. <laughs> I you know, I don't mind. I like I like that kind of middle of the night news, but it is a ghetto of sorts. It's a it's a it's, you know, a, can you really make your career there? Um uh or you know, or you just sort of lost. But yeah, for me it was like, yeah, you're 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 stuck overnight in a bus station. And and that's what's on the TV or or something or you're closing down at a neighborhood bar and it's on. Uh, all right, last thing. Obviously, uh, Curtis, you and Kevin Tober and Nick Fonda Carroll wandering around CPAC. Uh, my friend Stacy Lennox at PJ Media, who I met at CPAC oh a few moons ago, was sort of depressed at what CPAC had become in that it seemed to used to be more one of these things where there were like backers of four or five or six or seven different Republican candidates at these things. And obviously, I guess for the last five or six years or so, it's really been more of a mega gathering. Uh, Is that the sense you got from wandering around? In so many words, yes. It was very much a Trump religious gathering (laughs) of the minds. (laughs) Worship me. Yes. uh, The Steve Bannon podcast 
had a serious band of groupies crowding the corner. It yes. Right, it was at a horrible choke point in the layout, so that was terrible, too. So uh, when we were yeah. doing Newsmax on Friday morning and you were you did it live from CPAC and you were you wanted to turn around and say, Bannon, shut up. Shut up. Stop it. <laughs> I don't want to hear about voting machines. Stop not, it. Not that. Yeah. Not that you, you want to interrupt their broadcast. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it, what's interesting to me about the coverage of CPAC is they yes, reporters, as they're reporting on it, um, are noting the obvious fact that most of the Republican candidates or would-be candidates did not show which is a fact yeah that is a fact but you know then we did have pbs trying to say it was where the far right gathered and and then they Mm. interviewed people who they they insisted they needed to define what wokeness was this is you know they they're trying to embarrass people i don't remember pbs crawling around netroots nation trying to embarrass Uh. To embarrass the lefties wandering the hall. Yeah, this is the pro- this is like I guess a good bad problem for for conservatives that we have a conference where we can all come together and it's been going on for well over a generation. Whereas the left doesn't really have that where a cohesive group of people. I was talking about that with a number of folks that I saw at CPAC, both with the MRC and not with the MRC. That you know, if you tried to do this with the left, the corporate corporate liberals would be fighting with the Bernie people and the people would be holding healing crystals with Marion Williamson and they'd be smoking weed all over the place. Like it would just be a complete cluster. Like you would have no, like it would just be a disaster trying to find that like social cohesion. But the problem is you could, unfortunately for conservatives right now, the leftists are able to put that all away when they go to the ballot box. But because a conference isn't necessarily an act of voting, it would just be a complete splinter fest which is would just be fun for us to watch but with cpac you know you have it's mostly trump you know folks there now um there was still a guy a cow a guy in a white t-shirt and a cowboy hat about legalized pot he was there i this was my 11th cpac and he was there at my first one <laughs> uh you know a guy running around talking about that so it's definitely changed from whereas cpac in the early 2010s when i first started going was still a it was it was quite the the meeting of the minds mm-hmm. and ron paul would win the straw poll right i remember way those, back when those days well, uh dick cheney came in uh you know to introduce donald rumsfeld for the defender of the constitutional award and he told ron paul people to sit down and shut up <laughs> uh yeah so that, well, those now, were the days according to trump now eh, that was the republican party of freaks Right, and it was definitely smaller, I would say. But on the plus side, uh, our panels did terrific. Uh, yeah. Brent Bozell, uh, we have a, Kevin Tober as a write-up on that. It was a really good panel. Kurt Schlichter comes out, and he started talking about how he got his mic cut from CNN because he started saying Bill Clinton used White House interns as a humidor. Uh-oh. Uh, that sounds like a Limbaugh line. Yeah, that was a... Uh, he started by talking about that. It was Larry O'Connor in uh, Libs of TikTok with Brent. And that was... It flew by because yes. I, they were all... They must have all had a couple Red Bulls before they ran out. Like, they all sprinted out. You make me spew my drink. Yeah. And then uh, Dan Schneider in the afternoon, obviously former number two at the American Conservative Union, which runs CPAC, uh, had a panel with uh, Senator Braun, I believe, yep. Ashley Moody, yep. uh, Attorney General from Florida. Many of you see her on Fox. Uh, I think John Ratcliffe was there, maybe. Maybe Devin, I think maybe Devin Nunes from yep. True Social were there. Uh, talking about, obviously, big tech issues as well. Um, our Gabriela Parasau has um, a write-up on that. 
uh, as well. Oh, and then Peyton did a sensor track with Peyton video from CPAC. Yeah, so. for backstage, c- continuing the conversation. So we had a lot of different things. We had hopefully a lot of interns that you'll whose bylines you will see this summer at Newsbusters. Uh, we, you know, made first contacts with the career fair. So all in all, it was a. Uh, great success even if it were just a little bit smaller but i just think it felt normal on a pot 10 on a positive note with cpac amidst all the trumpness of it i think it was positive because you know cpac the last years have been florida and texas and it just felt like it was right that it belongs in washington i just like the fact that you were telling me that abc's john carl kept wandering past the mrc booth trying not to look and his <laughs> trench coat with he had his like he was very like stip steppity with his uh umbrella <laughs> like as a cane that he was going by i wanted to be like that gif of that kid in the stands at a little league game where he was like rolling his eyes and like <laughs> shimmying a little bit <laughs> i wanted to be like hey what's up homie all right. So, you know, I will say this, Curtis, according to their website, there's Netroots Nation in July. So we'll have to see if they, uh, if they notice. I might actually want to wear a mask to that or <laughs> in a face shield. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I know the Democrats just had a big caucus gathering, but their reporting out of that was pretty, you know, pretty PR. Here's what Biden had to say. Blah, blah, blah. Just like this morning where it was Biden and Selma and they just gave, you know, the NPR newscast this morning was Biden and Selma saying that the conservative Supreme Court justices are basically like the uh, segregationists. Which, of which I should say, Arthel Neville from Fox News. What are you doing, homie? That was weird. Saying voting rights are under assault, and then David Spunt said, "Yes, they are." <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I mean, this is this obviously was a major issue of ours here at Newsbusters in the last two years, and that was uh, the whole notion of them trying to define. The Republicans is Jim Crow 2.0 and all the fact checkers going out to get a donut. Right, uh, SB1, HR1. Yeah, so, you know, that remains an issue. And, of course, to them, voting rights is, and democracy is an issue when they lose. And and that's, right. you know, so that mean that they always complain about it more when they lose. So if you want to keep track of what we're doing and about what's breaking in the news media, that's why you come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.